0: Father, we just come to you, we come to you, Lord, and we want to thank you for giving us your son, the eternal word. Thank you, Lord, you came like us one day, and you died on the cross for our sins one day, and not only that, you rose from the dead, so that we have hope in this life and in the life to come. Because of you. Because you have overcome death. And paid the penalty for our sins. So this morning, even as I speak your word, I pray your word will speak to us. Because you are forever living. Speak, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. See, children always associate Christmas with gifts. And uh, there was this boy, and he kept on asking his father and his mother, you know, Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming. Please don't forget, this Christmas, I'm expecting a watch. I'm expecting a watch. Every day he pestered his parents. I'm expecting a watch. Finally the father said, one more word out of your mouth called watch, you are not getting it this time. The boy was full of watch. He didn't know how to hold it. But the thing was that every evening when they sat down for supper, each one had to memorize a scripture and say that that night was his turn. So he picked a scripture And this was the scripture he had memorized from Mark 13 (laughs) at verse 37. And what I said to you, I said to you all, watch. (laughs) So today, because we do not have Sunday school, we have all the little ones with us. But if you think they don't understand, that's because you don't know them. You need to ask them questions and you need to listen to their questions. And sometimes you'll be astonished how well they understand Scripture. So today, the world as it is celebrates Christmas. But it's not God's birthday, because God has no beginning or end. But it is when God, in the form of Jesus Christ, became flesh, like one of us. We call it the Incarnation. But it is not His birthday because if you see it only as his birthday, we are limiting the infinite God into something that he never is or never will be. So first we need to get rid of that birthday mindset. The birthday cake, the party, the celebrations, happy birthday to you, Jesus, and the ancient of days sits on his throne and he laughs. That's also scripture. Because the problem is, if you have these mindsets, and with that mindset, you go through the Bible, you read scripture, or you read a message, or you celebrate an occasion, we could end up missing out the entire purpose of God becoming man. The purpose of incarnation. So get rid of these wrappings, because the gift is his son. Get rid of all these wrappings and wrapping paper and that cardboard box. Get out. The cardboard box, of course, is Santa Claus. Okay? Get rid of that first because that's one of the biggest hawkses played on mankind. Because using Santa Claus, we take away the significance of what Christ did when he came in the flesh. We substitute the spiritual With the carnal. Because Santa Claus feeds to our greed. While Jesus meets our real spiritual eternal need. So get rid of him too. Everywhere you have seen the entire world. Santa Claus has replaced Jesus Christ. I was telling in last Sunday in the other church. Nepali church. I was telling them. One nation if you go which after United States, where every nook and corner you have Christmas decorations, like they celebrate Christmas like no man, is Japan. But 99% of that nation does not believe in Christ. So there is no Christ there, there is only Santa Claus. So understand what these things can do where the actual message, the incredible message of Christ is lost. So take off all those wrappings so that we don't miss the sun when he came the first time. And get rid of that Christmas tree too. Because the gift is not found underneath the tree. You will miss it. The gift is found hanging on a tree. That's not the tree that we place in our homes. That tree is not very attractive. On that tree we don't hang balloons and festoons and lights. No. But that's the tree. That gives salvation. Not the Christmas tree. To Israel in the wilderness God said. Look at that. If you look you are healed. So let our expectations be according to scripture. That's why we allow the word of God. To define our expectations. Or we will miss Christ this year too. As everyone missed him. Almost everyone missed him. When he came the first time. When he came the first time, hardly anybody recognized him. But scripture says when he comes a second time, every eye will see him. And reaction will be different. One set of people who rejected him the first time, they will be broken and they will cry seeing him, looking at the one whom they pierced. Another set of people who rejected him will cry upon the mountains and the rocks to fall upon them to hide themselves from him. There will be a set of people who lift up their heads because they know this is the hour they were looking for. So the first coming and the second coming are absolutely different. So allow the word of God to frame our thinking. Because you see, I can give you a gift. Every gift has to be received. And we we receive gifts according to our expectations. That's one of the reasons when we get older, like people like me, when gray hairs and all come, when my birthday comes, I run away. One of the things is that if you don't know me, you will give me gifts where I have to smile and receive it and not appreciate. Two years ago, three years ago, you gave me a gift which is still giving. You gave me books. And he gave me pens. Now you give me clothes, you give me shoes, you give me bells, It doesn't make any difference to me. You give me books, notebooks, and pens. My last lot is about to be finished. Every, this morning, last evening also, when I took a notebook and I said, oh, my children gave me this. So if you give a gift and your expectations were different, you will not appreciate the gift. That is why our mind, when we come to God, has to be framed, our thinking, by what God has already spoken, by the word of God. Because John 1 and verse 11 says, he came to his own and his own did not receive it. He came to his own. It's not that he was mad at them, he was incredibly kind. It's not that he didn't do incredible wonders among them, but it did not meet Their actual expectations. So they did not receive. They received him for a season. But when they found that he is not going to meet their actual expectations. Because he did not come to meet their actual expectations. Because when he came the first time. He did not come as Santa Claus. They rejected him. They rejected him. Charles Swindle. is very old now. One of the most. Famous, well-known preachers of the world, incredible man of God who has ministered to millions of people and tens and thousands of God's servants. He talks about as a young boy, he told his parents, "No, Mother, Christmas is coming. I want a basketball, a basketball, a basketball. You know, boys and boys in the U.S. Here, we would ask for a cricket bat. There it is, basketball, basketball. Christmas Day, Christmas tree underneath. He looked, ah, box looks kind of same size. It was excited, tore the papers, opened. It was round, but it was not a basketball. It was a globe. What can an eight year old boy do with a globe? His, his face fell. He was disappointed. His mother took the globe and gave it to her son and said, Charles, this is what I believe for you. Do you see these lands? One day God will use you to take his word to the whole world. Today, that is true. There is no nation where there is a preacher who doesn't know Charles Swindle. His expectation was different. But his mother had a different expectation for him. We may have a different expectation this morning. But God has a different expectation for us. When we receive God's son, we should look at God and say, Lord, what is your expectation for me? My vision is very limited. But you are one who has seen my end from the beginning. What is your expectation for me, Lord? It is not that he didn't meet some of their expectations. Very carnal, appetizing expectations. Scripture says in John chapter 6, when he had fed that multitude, 5,000 men, women, children, they all ate. They were all full. They looked at this incredible miracle. They saw Jesus had only five loaves of bread, two fish. They saw the miracle, the fish, the bread, multiplying 10,000, 15,000 people were fed. They thought, wow, this is the kind of king we want. We don't have to work. Food is free. Dora Pya chawal, we will vote for you. That's how till today people vote. Two years back, Trump won on a wall. I will build a wall. He won. Two years later, the Democrats won because we will give you free health care. People, you need to realize the average man makes decisions according to his appetite. And going to an eternal God and looking at him with a temporary appetite is the worst decision you and I can make. He's much bigger than that. So they were excited. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, they said, this is truly the prophet who is coming to the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again. He went away the mountain and departed from them. He says, he knows they are not moved by any eternal spirituals need. their mood. Oh boy, if I can get a CM like this, every day we can eat bread and meat. Did you see? He said, you don't fool me. They followed him. In verse 26 he said, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs. You didn't understand the message behind the sign. You don't fool me. I'm not Santa Claus. You don't fool me. You're after me because you ate of the loaves and are filled. He said, I am Yeshua. I am Jesus. I'm not Santa Claus. You don't fool me. So you and I cannot receive him as Santa Claus. Santa Claus can give you a nicely wrapped gift. He can do nothing for your soul, which is eternal and everybody consciously unconsciously when you look in your mirror you know there is something beyond that inside and that's the real you this body is just a shell and you know when you die that doesn't go where you go it goes to another place and that's our first primary need and jesus came to meet that need so when you open the bible the old testament the new testament time divided has bc and ad before christ and after christ right there the new testament begins and the first promise in the new testament is connected with man's greatest need in matthew 1 and verse 21 she will bring forth a son and you shall name his call his name jesus for he will save his people from their sins We don't realize this is our real, real need. You shall name him Yeshua. Jesus in English. Yeshua in Hebrew. You shall name him Yeshua. Why? Jesus means my God saves. God my savior. God is my salvation. You shall name him Yeshua. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, you look in the entire cultural traditions, ancient, modern, anywhere in the world. Roman, Greek, Scandinavian, Egyptian, Babylonian, Assyrian, Indian, Chinese, anywhere. You will never hear about a God who came to save his people from their sins. Every God came to destroy the sinners. Rescue the righteous. Here you have a different. You have to change the way you think. Paradigm shift in your thinking. He will save his people from the sins. Meaning he came for sinners. Jesus put it this way to the crowd. In John chapter 6 and verse 27. He said. Do not labor for food which perishes. Don't spend your entire life going after things that perish. What to eat, what to drink, where to work, what to wear, what to buy. These things all perish. But for food which endures to everlasting life. There are two things he says. You can feed your body. You need it. Don't worry about it. Ultimately your body will die. But there is something inside your soul, your pran, your atma. That needs a Different kind of food. A different kind of intervention from God. You cannot intervene there. If you feed, which the Son of Man will give you, you will have everlasting life. Why? Because God the Father has put his seal on him. Everything that you and I, the carnal man, which Santa Claus gives, will perish. But the Son of God gives life. Don't ever dilute the message of Christmas. Ever. Ever. If you dilute the message of Christmas. We will be hopeless. Because the only hope man has. Is because God became man. Because we need to understand. We were born in sin. Our fathers have sinned. Our forefathers have sinned. And we have lived in sin. When Adam sinned. In Adam Every man sinned. The Bible is very clear. The law is very clear. The wages of sin is death. And there is no escaping death. Every man and woman, from the first man to the last man, is destined to die. Why? Because God said, the wages of sin is death. We call it in science as cause and effect. There is a cause, and there is a result and effect. Man sinned, you will die. That's the effect of sin. And death has swallowed everyone from the beginning. And since most died in their sin without knowing there was a savior, the grim reality of death is described by the prophet Isaiah in the Bible. The Grim reality of life after death. If you don't have a savior. It says, therefore Sheol, that is hell or grave, has enlarged itself and opened its mouth beyond measure. When hell was made, it had a definite size. Because it was meant for a specific number of fallen angels, only for them. And then man fell. Sin entered the human race. And they did not know their savior. And Handel had to enlarge itself. Enlarge itself. Opened its mouth beyond measure. And it didn't matter what the man was up here. He could be Caesar, he could be Herod, he could be Alexander, but with their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he who was jubilant, you were happy on earth. It made no effect. Dewet swallowed all of them. Swallowed all of them. Shakespeare says in one place, Caesar must have made the known Roman Empire tremble. But today Caesar's skull is in a grave where the rats have made a hole and made a house. Death swallows everybody. Doesn't matter whether you're emperor or beggar. It does. And when Jesus came the first time, he came to deal with that one issue. The wages of sin is death. And people, if they don't have a savior, will be swallowed by death. So it's hell has enlarged itself. But there was one problem. There was one issue. The one issue is the most famous words in the Bible. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved us. He loved us. God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. That was the only thing that stopped hell getting everybody. God so loved the world. So loved the world. From eternity past. Because God is outside of time. He sees the end from the beginning. He saw a set of people. Who would receive the gift of salvation through his son. Who would receive his son. His son came to his own, but they did not receive him. But he knew there would be always people who would humble themselves and receive the son. All these were sinners, the world. But God loved them. And he still loves them. So when you see Jesus, what do you see? Do you see the love of God? See, God's spirit through Solomon, here is this thing, hell and death is swallowing people in their millions. And here is a holy, righteous God who wants to save sinners, he loves them so much, without compromising on his holiness, his righteousness and truth. There is love on one side, And there is death on another side. Song of Solomon puts it across so beautifully. The heart of God. The heart of Jesus. It says it this way. Set me as a seal upon your heart. As a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. There is death on one side strong. There is love on one side that is strong. Jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are the flames of fire. A most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love. This was a fire that was burning in God's own soul. It could not be quenched. I love man I made. No waters could quench it. No floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. What would not man Give for love. That's why we have all these stories, romantic stories about men and women giving up everything because of love. Where did it come from? It came from God. You have a British royal family who would have never been in the royal family if a couple of generations back, the king had not abdicated his throne because he fell in love with a spinster who was a widow A divorcee and the British constitution says the king cannot marry a divorcee. But he said, I'll give my throne and marry her. And he married, left England, settled in France, lived happily till he died there. And because he abdicated the throne and he did not have children, the next line in succession became the queen. And today you have a royal family which is entirely different because a man gave up his throne for a woman he loved. But the greatest love story ever known is God, Jesus, who gave up his throne and came here and died on the cross so he could have a woman, the church, his people, because he loved us. There's no greater love story than that. That is what it means. Love is stronger than death. The old covenant, love was only as strong as death. But on the cross, Jesus proved love is stronger than death because it was like a fire fire burning within God's soul. Many waters of flood could not quench it. That's the wonder of heaven. All of the angels look at each other and look at us. They said, What is man? That you are mindful of them. Lord, One thought of the angels rebelled. They weren't against you. Kick them out. But when man sinned, you are broken. What is man? When Lucifer and the one-third of the angels rebelled. You didn't become an angel and die for them. No. When this puny man <laughs> sinned, he said, I'll go and die for them. Take the penalty, the punishment of sin upon myself. Then rise from the dead so that they can put their faith on me. And because I rose, they will also rise. The Wages of sin is death. That is the law. It can never change. Laws don't change. Therefore, there begins the greatest love story in history. Galatians 4.4 4 puts it this way. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. It's the law that said wages of sin is death. So God takes this form through a woman, Mary, and he comes and is born under the law. For what? Verse 5 says, to redeem those who were under the law. To redeem us. Every man is under the law. If you sin, you die. That is the law. The Bible talks about two deaths. There is one death. Where the physical separation of the soul and the body takes place. And it talks about a second death. Where the soul is cast to utter darkness away from the presence of God. Or the soul is allowed into the presence of God. Two deaths. Jesus first came to save us from the second death. Not the first. And when he comes the second time, we will be freed from the first death. We will be given a body that will never perish. That's why he said, don't work for this body that will perish. Think about your soul. Think about your soul. That's what the Gospel of John was saying. He came to his own, but they didn't receive him. But the next verse says in verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name. You have to receive that gift. Those who received him. He gave what? The authority. The right. What? Not to be just saved. To become the children of God. Those who believe in his. And you shall name him. Yeshua. You have to believe in that name. What does that name mean? My God will save. My God saves. You have to receive that name. And you have received the work which He did. So when you see Jesus, what do you see? What do you see? The gospel according to Luke talks about Simeon. When he saw Jesus. Jesus is just a 40 year old baby. He has been brought to the temple. But he, when he looked at Jesus. What he saw was not a baby. What he saw is. Lord now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. I have seen my salvation. What do you see? Do you see your salvation? I can go in peace. Because my eyes have seen your salvation. That's what Bible is talking about. When God, when we receive God, he's not saying you're forgiven of your sins. He says, no, I'm giving you the authority to be the children of God. It's a completely, absolutely, totally new beginning. Bible puts it this way in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a... What does it mean? You're old, you, it's not counted. You haven't sinned. Your sin, your sins, your old nature, everything is forgotten. You are made a new person in Christ Jesus. Behold, all things have become new. All things have become new. It's an absolute, complete shift in our thinking when Christ comes in. We start seeing life with new eyes. We start understanding life and what is around us with a new mind. See, one constant question everywhere I go. Every time you constantly hear in blogs, in papers, in uh, interviews, everywhere you hear. If God is such a good God, why so much suffering and death? Is true? Two days back, another tsunami. 222 including a band that was playing in the beach in the middle of the performance, died. So many died. Tsunamis, floods, earthquakes, famine, wars, murder, sickness. You name it, the world is full of calamities. So the question always asked is, if there is a God, and if he is a good God, why does so much suffering, why so much death, why doesn't he intervene? The answer is God is good beyond imagination and understanding. And the answer is 2,000 years ago, he intervened. Why all this death? Because of sin. Till Adam sinned, there was no flood. There was no sea. There's no hurricane. There was no earthquake. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There was no tsunami. There was nothing. Absolutely at peace. Creation with the creator. But when sin came in, everything went out of order. So the reason all this is happening is causes sin, result is death. So Jesus came and intervened. Scripture says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he made him, his own son Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. First sin has to be taken care of. You will only understand it if you ever understand how a criminal court works. When you enter into a criminal court and you're sitting there and watching the proceedings, you will realize the judge cannot bend the law. He cannot bend the law. Where did even the concept of justice come from? It comes from the righteousness of God. You and I sinned. God cannot bend his righteousness. But if somebody was willing to pay the penalty, but the one who has to pay the penalty has to be flawless. One criminal cannot stand bail for another criminal. No court will accept it. You go to the police station for taking bail to get your friend out. First he will ask your standing in the society. No policeman will release your friend. You have to prove your standing. Who can prove his standing before a holy God? No one. No one. No one. We have sinned in our thought. We have sinned with our words. We have sinned with our actions. And above all, we were born in sin. Born in sin meaning the nature itself, Adamic, was a sinful nature. So God sent his own son, holy. Lived a perfect, sinless life. And when he goes upon the cross, our sin is put on him. Made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. God was not just satisfied with, okay, you're forgiven. See, you, you have to understand that. Otherwise, you won't understand this principle. Just imagine. This is a criminal court. I'm the judge. And the judge shows mercy. Okay. I'll show mercy. Because somebody is willing to pay the bail. Or pay the penalty. You can go. Where does he release me back to? From where I came. He releases me back to the society. From where I came. But in the eternal day. The day of judgment. There are only two places. There is no more earth. There is no more earth. So even if he shows me mercy. He cannot take me into heaven. Because that is a holy place. He cannot send me to hell. Because hell is for the condemned. Where does? He? There is no third place. So what does he do? He's not satisfied with showing me mercy. He imputes the righteousness of God in me and you and makes us the sons and daughters of the living God. says, go to your father's house. That is salvation. It's beyond mercy. That's what grace is. Beyond mercy. Beyond. To everyone. Because scripture says, all have sinned. And if God is a gracious, righteous God, salvation should be accessible to every man. Because the king has no power to save himself. The beggar has no power to save himself. Everybody needs salvation. Should be accessible to everyone. That's why the first word we hear in the Christmas story is when the pregnant Mary and Joseph come, they come to the inn and the innkeeper says, there is no no room. There's no room. So he, the one who created everything, was born outside in the stable. And the baby was put in the watering trough in the manger. Here is the creator outside in a stable. Sunday evening at the Telugu church, I told them, you see, I said, today's modern Western world won't understand it. We Indians understand it very much. I said, you know, beggars, at the end of the day or afternoon when the beggar goes to a restaurant to have chai, they don't let him in. They don't let him in. He collects his coins and he gives it to the chai fellow. The chai fellow does not give him chai in a cup from the restaurant. He pours it into his glass, though he has money, he has, he's not allowed in. You know that? Have you seen it? Next time you go open your eyes and watch. What happens around? He's not allowed in. Imagine Jesus was born in the inn. Can a beggar get in? But if he's born in the stable, can the beggar go in? He can go in. Open. Throne room of God, open to every man. The most condemned in the society was the shepherds. Scripture says, it is to them the angelic host went and sang the first Christmas carol. They have no intelligence. They don't have no understanding of scripture. He's not quoting Isaiah and Micah, nothing at all. He says, you know what? You will be given a sign. You know what is the sign? There is a baby wrapped up in clothes in the manger, in the stable. Everybody, all the shepherds knew where the stable was. Because they are shepherds. The other humorous part of it is if it is the lamb of God that is being born, who should know first? The shepherds. They take care of lambs anyway. Understand the heart of our God. The wise men, when the star got missing, went into the palace because they thought that is where the king would be born. Where is he who's born king of Jews? To the shepherds, very clearly, don't have to you don't need GPS, you don't need an app. Go straight there. You know where the stable is. Yes, he's there. And they saw, scripture says, they were amazed. The wonder of Christmas. Don't lose it. That's why I don't like the trappings. I hate the trappings of Christmas because it takes the wonder of Christmas. The wonder of Christmas is God became man. So that man could become God. That's the wonder of Christmas. That you and I condemned as criminals in the court of law, could become the children of the living God. That is the wonder of Christmas. And nothing of our decorations actually point to that truth. Doesn't point to that truth. That's the awesomeness of Christmas. He who did not sin, no sin, became sin for us. So he became sin, and he died on the cross. Not only that, Hebrews two fourteen and fifteen will see. Cause is sin; he's handling the cause. Effect is death; he's handling death. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, all of us have flesh and blood. He came like that. He himself likewise shared in the same. God, who is a spirit, took a human body that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death—that is the devil, devil. He's a prosecuting this thing. He is not interested in your innocence or you he only wants a guilty verdict. He has the power of death because when God's law was broken he had the power to destroy us. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Everybody is in bondage to this. Everybody This is the actual problem. Everybody in human history fears death. Fears death. Because when that hour comes, you will realize no power is going to save us. If you are a government, you are a minister in the Indian government, when you fall sick, of course in our money you will be flown to US, to New York City, to the best hospital. Still doesn't save you. Still doesn't save you. Ultimately, you have to face death. Everybody has to die. But he became flesh and blood. And he conquered death. He conquered sin. And he conquered death. The question is, do you realize who he is? That's why at Lazarus' grave, Jesus looked at Martha and said, Martha, do you believe? Look at what Jesus tells Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. A brother is dead. And dead for how many days? Four days in the tomb. It's just a sign. He wants to prove to them. I'll tell you who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall. And who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe in this? Let me ask you this question. Do you believe in this? If you believe in this, the fear of death is gone in your life. You can, for the first time, Be free from the bondage because everything man does ultimately is motivated by this. I want to live longer. I want to live as long as I can before death will come knocking on the door and then there is no hope. So let me eat well. Let me dress well. Let me exercise well. Let me work harder. More money. So when I grow old and I fall sick, I can give it to the doctors. Everything is based on the fear of death. So no man is actually free until he encounters Jesus. You are free. Because even if I die, I live. the first question he asks, Martha. Do you believe? Do you believe? That even if he dies, he lives. And even when he's living, he knows deep inside. There is no separation from God anymore. No second death. I'm I'm living. Do you believe? That's what he told the crowd that came to make him king. They asked him this question in John 6, 28. They said, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Because every religion, except Christianity, authentic Christianity, every religion says you have to do good works if you, have, if you need any chance in the next life. Because balancing act has to be done. But the logic doesn't work in the criminal court even on earth. I don't know where this logic comes from in the next life. Even in a traffic court it doesn't work. Chalan! No helmet. Sir, license hai. Pollution control hai. Insurance hai. He said, that's not the point. Do you have your helmet? No, I have everything. That is, Law doesn't want to know what all you have. Law wants to know where you broke. It doesn't work. And we all know in practical experience, if you ever go to a court, it simply doesn't work. Your good deeds don't outweigh your bad. You are judged for your bad. That's the problem here. What shall we do? That we may work the works of God. So we all want to do God's work so that one day when we stand before God, God will be pleased with us and say, Okay, chalo understand. Jesus said, Do you know what is the first thing you need to do? Jesus answered and said, This is the work of God that you believe in Him. He said, He said, This is the work which you have to do, the most difficult work. Just believe in me and believe in what I am doing. That's why the book of Hebrews says, We have to labor to enter into his rest. There's a rest the saved person enters into. One thing he knows: I am no longer under the condemnation of sin. I may sin again, but I am no longer under condemnation because he's taken the penalty. Now I can go to him, not as a criminal that is going to the judge, as a son going to the father and saying, "Dara, I goofed up. Please help me." There's a difference in how the unbeliever approaches God and the believer approaches God. The believer doesn't have to go to a river to get his sins off. He doesn't have to go to Vatican to get his sins off or a Holy Land tour or Mecca. Nothing. He just has to get on his knees before and say, Dada, I messed up. That's why scripture tells the children, Come boldly, confidently to the throne room of grace. And you will receive mercy. You are released from that. First, the power of sin. The fear. And second, you are released from the fear of death. Do you believe this? Do we believe in him? That is where faith comes. That's why it's Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday. We teach you about believing in God. Because salvation is not the work of man. Salvation is the work of God. You have to believe in what he does in you and through you. That comes by faith. So do we believe in that gift? So God's answer to every calamity that started 6,000 years ago for every tsunami, every flood, every earthquake, every wildfire, every sickness, every war, everything at the end of it is casualty, 222 dead, scores injured. You have a figure at the end. That is the end of it, right? God says, I intervened. Did you see? How did you? He says, I have overcome death. Look at the 222 who died two days ago. In that, if there were two who knew Jesus, they didn't die. They're living with him now. That's why in the Bible, post-Christ, every incident where a man of God dies, a child of God dies, scripture says he sleeps in Christ. He wakes up there. Paul will say, My departure is near because he knows. I was telling in the Telugu church, you see, these two boards we see in the in the airport, no? Uh, departure, arrival. Depending upon whether you're going or you are waiting for somebody, you will be looking at that board. Right? Here all oh, Paul's this thing must be wondering, oh, his date has been set, he's going to be executed two weeks from now. So departure on the terminator will say seven days more for Paul. On the other side in heaven terminal it is saying seven days my son is coming home. There is celebration here. There is sorrow here. The scene in heaven is absolutely different. Absolutely different. My servant is coming home. The warrior is coming home. That is why when you are saved, Christ comes in. You start seeing life differently. You don't fear death. You don't walk under condemnation like this. Oh, next year also I should go to Jerusalem. Waste all your savings because I will go to that holy sepulcher and I will kneel and God will forgive. God said, I already forgave you. All you have to do is believe in my son and ask for grace that you don't fall the same areas. Keep fighting. You are a child. You are not a slave. Do you see the promise of Christmas? You shall name him Jesus. There is no greater need. And there was never a greater gift. The gift of salvation. As many as who so received him. Scripture says, he gave them the authority to be the sons of God. Paul will put across it beautifully in Galatians 4, 19. My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. The day I believed, somebody was born in me. That was Christ who was born in me. After that, for all these years, God and His Spirit and His Word and different ministers are working to see Christ grows in me. Oh Yes! The Christ as an infant also has the power to save. Simeon says, my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Let your servant depart in peace. Jesus as 12 can answer the question of the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus as 30 will see the heavens open. Bestowed with the power of God. And go into the world and do good. The Christ in you has to grow. Has to grow. But the Christ who came in has the power to save. Yes, when he came in inside you, it looks like an infant. But that Christ has the power to save. Let him grow. That is why we come to the church. That's why we spend so much time in the study of the word. Because the Christ in you will only receive the word of God. Because that is the food for your soul. Your body needs different things. But your soul needs the word of God for it to grow. Your thinking to change so that when you go out, you're fearless. Fearless. This doesn't scare you. You're not afraid, Lord. Let me die on an accident. No. What are you afraid of? Lord, if I've got work still to do, let me not die on an accident. But if my work is finished, that accident is your incident. I'm going home. I don't want to stay here one day. Because there is nothing on earth, however much you love your spouse, your children, your relatives, your friends, there is no one. No one I love more than you. Because you so loved me. So loved me. See, even if your father or mother or wife or husband or child loved you so much and was willing to die for you, they still couldn't save you. Because the death would have made no effect. One sinner cannot save another sinner. Both are in the same hole. Sometimes we don't appreciate so much what it means Christ came. Romans 6.14 says, for those of us in whom he is birthed, law doesn't have dominion over you. Sin doesn't have dominion over you. Sin comes from the law. Law doesn't have dominion over you. Sin doesn't have dominion over you. You are no longer slaves of sin. You are no longer slaves working under the law. You are? Sons. Do you know when they came to ask Jesus to ask, ask for tax? Jesus asked a very simple question. Who pays tax? Kings or subjects? So they said subjects. Do kings pay tax? No. They pay no tax. But this is, for their sake let us give. You have to ask yourself, who are you? Are you under Then you are not a son. Louis 14 said, I am the law. I am the law. The sons of the king keep the law, but they are not under the law. The difference: the slaves keep the law, are under the law, fearing death and punishment. The sons keep the law because their father is the law. They're not afraid. They are not looking at condemnation and punishment. There is a difference how the son looks at the law and the slave looks at the law. If you are a son, law has no dominion over you. That's how the law works. Everywhere, whether you are in the manger lying as a baby, whether you are sitting with the priest at the temple at 12, or whether you are hanging on the cross, you are still a king. But kingship is not outside, it is inside. You are always a king. That's the nature, authority's nature. I still remember when I was young hearing about a case in the Indian railways when this something happened in the train and there was an issue. And one of the passengers who was traveling in the AC compartment, it happened at Bhopal Station or Jansi Station, was the Supreme Court judge. The train was stopped because of some issue. He asked the station manager to bring a chair, sat in the chair and said, this is my court, bring them here. I will adjudicate the case right now. The judge is always a judge, whether he's in his chamber or standing in a railway station. Understand who you are. Whether you're sitting here, working in an IT company, walking on the street, never forget who you are. Because that's what God made you. You're not afraid of the law because your father is the law. Therefore, you keep the law. The law doesn't have dominion over you. You're not afraid of the condemnation of sin. No not a slave. You are a child. You are not afraid of death. What does scripture say? Post Christ. Oh death, where is your sting? This is hell. Oh heads, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. And but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you read all the early accounts of everybody who was martyred for their faith in Christ. They went singing. They sang. Polycarp, 86 years old. They said, please, you're such an old man. We don't want to execute you. Please, one word you say, Caesar is Lord. We will set you free. They said, no. See, Christ is Lord. They said, please, one word. He said, no. Just recant. He said, no. How can I say, Christ is not Lord. 86 years, he said, he's only done good to me. And scripture says, he went singing to the flames. They burned him to death. The crowd was watching an old man singing to his death because Christ has broken the fear of death in our lives. you are not afraid of death. we are not afraid. So that's the answer. When all these things happen, why doesn't God intervene? You have to say, God intervened 2000 years ago. I could be caught in a tsunami. No issues. If he wants me to live, the tsunami goes over me. He wants me to die, I die in the tsunami. Either way, I am secure. I don't, I don't need a life insurance. I am secure. My life is insured. Where, where is your deposit? The Holy Spirit inside me, scripture says, is the deposit. You belong to eternity with God. That's what Romans 8, 34 to 39 says. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore it is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Or distress? Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Or sword? He says, do any of these things have power over those who are God's own? No. For it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Every calamity, natural, man-made, you name it, we are more than conquerors. Why? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, or power, or things present, or things to come, height or depth, or any other created thing, shall be able to separate us, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever he or she, puts their faith in him, already crossed over from death to life, the second death has no power, all because of, Christmas Day. So we have to understand what is that I celebrate. What is this? This is, that's why I I dislike Santa Claus. Because he blurs the message. Blurs the message. And the Christmas tree. Because I see the Christmas tree directly in opposition to the another tree. And I see Santa Claus as directly opposite to Christ. Both vying for the hearts of people. Santa Claus is always popular, but he doesn't have the power to save. He's a mythical creature. He can't save you. He didn't die for you. God sent his only son. He didn't send any Claus. Whether it's Santa Claus or Shanta Claus, he didn't send any Claus. He sent his only son that he would die for us. So the first promise in the New Testament is, you shall name him Jesus. Anyone who believes in his name, Yeshua, my God is my salvation. You're saved. You're not believing in your works, you're believing in what he did for us, all of us 2000 years ago. That's the first promise. Then there is a second promise immediately in Matthew 1.23. The second promise in the Bible is, new covenant is, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. Contradiction. How can a virgin have a child? Because that child is not of man. That child is of God. She just gives him a body. His soul and his spirit is from God. The seed is of God. The woman gives the body. Bloodline is always traced through the father and not through the mother. Am I right? Am I right? Through the father. And not he's the doctor here. Not, not Never through the mother. Do you know actually in the womb, when you bear a baby, there is something called the placenta, which is kept there to protect the baby from the mother's blood, mixing with the baby's blood. If you do, the baby dies. Baby dies. Am I right? I checked it on Google, it's right. Okay. <laughs> the mother's baby cannot mix with the baby. The nutrition's go through a process called like osmosis, kind of a process goes into the baby, but the baby's blood and the mother's blood never mixes. The virgin shall bear a son, but the son has no blood of the mother. It is the life of the father. That is why the first promise in Genesis 3.16 is the seed of the woman. But the woman has no seed, the seed is man's. Contradictions. Only when your eyes open you understand. The virgin shall be with a child. And bear a son. And they shall name him Emmanuel. That's when when Gabriel comes and tells Mary. You shall bear a child. The first song of her mouth is. My God. My Lord. My Savior. She knows. What has conceived in her womb. Is not of man. Is of God. And this sign will save her. That is our Savior. That even she. As the vessel that is bearing God's own son has to put her faith in him if she has to be saved. Second promise. Bear a son and they shall call his name. First you shall call him Jesus. For all who's longing for this redemption, fear, believe in the name of Jesus. When you believe in the name of Jesus, you have another promise. You shall call him Manuel. It's not that you believe and you are saved and he left you here and said make your own way till you reach home. No. He says you have a second promise which I give it to you. What is his name? My son's name is Emmanuel. God with you. Not just God for you. Now he is God with you. God with you. That's what Peter will preach on that day on the Pentecost when he said, Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Savior and Lord. They were cut to the heart and said, what should we do, please? Answer was this. Peter said to them, everybody repent. Turn from your sins. Everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Because that is the only name under heaven. Salvation is available for the remission of your sins. Sin is taken care of, so you don't have to worry about death. The cost is taken care of, don't worry about effect. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You shall gift. You will receive a gift. Who is that? The gift of Jesus' own spirit. And Jesus put it this way in John 14, 16 to 18. Before he died, he's telling his disciples, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Just like me. It will be my spirit. He may abide with you for ever. Emmanuel, God with us. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you. I will not just save you and leave you. He says, no, I will save you and I will be with you. You'll never be an orphan. The world will never understand the Holy Spirit. I remember 25 years, 35 years um, in Iflu when one set of children got accepted Jesus and they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Everybody in the hospital in the hospital freaked out. Because they heard Holy Ghost. Are boot agaya. They freaked out. Oh, what is wrong with these children? They all have booth inside. This is no booth. This is the spirit of the living God. And it is the spirit of truth which tells you this is a lie, this is true. This is a lie, this is a truth. Make your decisions now according to the coming kingdom and not by the world. You have Emmanuel, God with us. The gift of salvation and the gift of God's spirit. God with us forever and ever and ever. Galatians 4 says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a eh? huh? and if a son, then yeah. every son has some part of the property. Elder son may get two-third. The other ones will get one-third. You are a son, you are an heir of God's eternal inheritance. How do you know? How do you know I am saved? He didn't just save you. He put a deposit in you. His spirit. We are sons and daughters of the king. Our citizenship is of heaven. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. That is why for 2000 years, men and women have given their lives trying to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. What does gospel mean? Good news. What is the good news? Man doesn't have to die in his sins and go to hell. Doesn't have to be separated from God. God has made a way. Believe in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. You are saved. Repent. Turn from all your other practices. Repent. Look at him. Don't look at your works. Your works mean nothing. Look at him for the remission of your sins. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You are a new person. You are a new person. That's the gospel. And it began on Christmas. Old has passed away. Your past is erased. There's no past. Your past is erased. The the minute you came to Christ, your past is erased. And every time you sin, you go back to God and you ask. Scripture says the blood of Jesus washes it, cleans it out. Because he's a father. He's not a judge. It's a natural law of justice. Even in this world. Latha, example. okay. Latha has been caught for a crime. In Telangana. She stole in Andhra. Ran away to Telangana. Was caught in Telangana. And she is sentenced to two years. Court in Andhra also calls her for the same crime. But they cannot sentence her twice. You are only sentenced once for the sin. So when I have sinned. My penalty was taken by Jesus. Two people are not punished for the same crime. Either he or me. If he is punished. I am free. Understand? That's how salvation comes. Your past is raised. In your present, you are empowered. That's what grace. Receive mercy and grace. Don't look at life now. Look at that life is coming. And rejoice in your life now. Because the enemy and the system can't do anything to you. Death for you is not an end. It is actually a beginning. So don't fear death. And your future is absolutely secure in Christ. There's a beautiful picture in the Old Testament. I call the first 3D movie that was shot in a cave in the Old Testament. need to really believe. 3D movie was shot in the Old Testament. Let's have the 3D movie. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress... Everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented. You saw the three D's? Distressed, debt and discontented. So these three D's came together and joined their souls in the cave with whom? David. 400, then 600. 600 people with no hope. But they joined their hearts with David. And the 600 will march with him all during those terrible days. But one day, they will march with him to Hebron, where he'll be anointed king of Judah. And then they will march with him again, and he'll be anointed as king of over all Israel. Only because why? They were in debt, they were distressed, they were discouraged, they were in discontented, but they joined their soul with whom? We are all in debt. A debt no one can pay. Absolute discontented with life. Distressed as death approaches. But when you and I join our souls with the son of David. Even though those days that we walk here may be a little lonely and dark. One day we will see with our eyes. We will march with him when he is crowned king of kings and lord of lords. And we will receive our inheritance. Simply did we do one thing. We join our souls with him. And don't rely. And you will see all these men. Because they joined with David. One day will be called the mighty men of David. Are they called the mighty men of David? Therefore God looks at all our calamities. And he says you know what. In the midst of all these calamities. Every one of you who have joined your soul with my son Jesus. Are more than conquerors. Mighty men and women. Don't let these things phase you in life. Your eternity is secure. Go through in victory. I am not Santa Claus. I am Jesus of Nazareth. Emmanuel. God with us. So how do we see life? It has to change. Don't go like Saul. Here one day, here one day. David, my son one day. Next day chasing David. Don't be split. Like I said on Sunday, for once and all decide who is king. Don't flip back and forth. Steady yourself. Know these truths. Get it deep inside and say, Lord, whom the Son sets free, is free indeed. I'm a free man. I'm not a slave of the enemy. I'm not a slave of the system. I'm not bound by circumstances because inside I'm unbound. Free. 2,000 years ago, when he came, he was looking for a place. His mother and father must have panicked. Father meaning adopt a stepfather. Joseph must have been panicking. Mary is in labor. There is no place. Every place in Bethlehem is full. There could have been only one inn. The innkeeper said, no room. So when he came the first time, what did we say? No room. No room. I hope you have room for him today in your heart. You know what a kind, compassionate God he is? For everyone subsequently when he died and rose again and made room for him in their hearts and in their lives. They made room for him. Everyone in the past 2000 years who have made room for him. Do you know what he says to us? When I came, you said no? Room. I knocked at your heart and said, will you make room? And you gave me room. And he says in John, in my father's house, there are many rooms. Many rooms. Can I have it in NIV? my father's house, there are many rooms. Okay, when I came, you didn't have room. I'm not mad at you. Not mad at you. You said no room. But in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would tell you. He may have said, no room. But he said, All the room you want, you will have for eternity. in My father's house, in your father's house. Plenty of rooms. When I came down to earth 2,000 years ago, you were not ready to prepare a place for me. Two people were not willing to move out and put a parada so that I could be born. You were not willing to make a place for me. But I have gone there to prepare a place for you. No one who enters heaven will say, there was no place for me. I'm preparing a place for you. And he says, You have no clue about that place. Eyes haven't seen, scripture says, no ears heard. What God is preparing for those me whom he loves, who loves him. Eyes haven't seen, Even Sri Mukesh Ambani's 35-story, 3,500 crore mansion will be nothing compared to what God is preparing for every child of his. Unimaginable with the human mind. That's what God is saying. Eyes have been seen. Uh, You can see. Ambani's residence, the most expensive residence in the world. He says, nothing compared to what I am preparing for you. For you are no longer a slave. You are a son. The son of the king of kings. You are no longer a slave to the demands of the law. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to this world system. You are no longer a slave to the fear of death. You are a son. You are a daughter. So let no one judge you. Let no one judge you. Don't be judged by what people say. That's a problem of unsaved people. Always they are worried. You have to be very careful. You have to be very careful what you say to a man. You have to be even more careful what you say to a woman. Because very sensitive. If you read scripture, you will find it so interesting. Even in the most uh, difficult moments of your life, when men talk about themselves and their wife, they, they say differently. Zachariah comes and tells John the Baptist, his father, Zachariah, sorry, the angel comes and tells Zachariah, you will, your wife will bear a child. You know what Zachariah says? Lord, I'm very Lord, I'm very old. He doesn't say my wife is very old. You're asking for trouble if you say your wife is very old. <laughs> you know what he says? You read scripture. My wife is advanced in years. Whether you're 17 or 71, that phrase, See, even God has a sense of humor. Let no one judge you. Let no one judge you. Why I tell you is this. If you get trapped in this system without understanding the kingdom of God, knowing who you are, you will always define your worth in this fallen world by the money you make, the name you have, the knowledge you acquire, the skills you acquire. The problem is, the more you have, the more you attach your self-worth to it and the more proud you become. The less you have, the lower esteem you have. The more you have reputation, the more you puff off like a balloon. The less people talk good about you, the the more you shrink. That's the problem. That's a trap in which everybody is caught in this world. That's why I ask my young men to bring this. This is if you are in the world. Your self-worth is like this. More people say good about you, you also... But it's full of air. The more people speak ill about you, air goes out. And more when a calamity takes place, gone. You are gone. But this is Christ in you. Doesn't matter whether you have more money or less money. Whether people speak good about you or less about you. Whether you have a name or whether you do not have. Your worth never changes. It's always the same. Because scripture says Christ in you is the hope of your glory. That's why God's people through the ages, were always stable because they did not attach their worth to their works, what they had, what people said. They knew, I'm a child of God. My worth cannot change because I am a child of God, not because of what I did, but because of what He did. When I believed, He came in and He's always the same, yesterday, today, forever. I was loved when I was a sinner. I am loved that I am a son. God always loves me the same way because God is love. You realize what a what an incredible thing the gospel is. Sets you free now and forever. Now and forever. That's why I said close. Look through your minds. So those of you know Scripture, Apostle Paul in his last days, sitting in a prison dungeon in Rome, awaiting the death sentence. Look through your eyes a man who had done everything but has come to the end, lost everything, sitting in a prison, going to die. Yet this is what he says. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. Why? For I know whom, not what, whom I have believed. Salvation is not in a message. Salvation is in a manger. I always tell this. Look at this crib. Let's call it a crib. You see Jesus there. Another crib. You see Buddha there. Another crib. You see Muhammad there. Another crib. You see Confucius there. And you could take all these people. They all have taught different things. But you take them out. Their teachings are wise. It doesn't affect the teaching at all. You take Christ out. Christianity is dead. Because the message is the person message is the person. What is the message of Christianity? God came in the flesh. God lived a sinless life. God died on the cross for the sins of man. He rose from the dead on the third day. That is the message of the cross. You take Christ out, there is no Christianity. You can take any one of them out. It still continues. So he doesn't say, I know what I have believed. He doesn't say, I know what I have believed in the Ten Commandments. No, he says, no, I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded, not all the commandments which I kept and was perfect. No, he says, that he is able to keep what I have committed into him until that day. I have committed my soul into his hands and on that day I will know I am. Absolutely secure because he is the one who is keeping it, not I. If it was dependent on my work, I would be a miserable man sitting in this dungeon looking without hope. But I know in whom I have believed and in whose hand my salvation is. I am absolutely sure I am safe and secure. That is salvation. That's how you need to see all these calamities. Floods, earthquakes, fires. Turbulence! Turbulence is coming to... Please, I'm telling you children, don't look with the eyes of the world. 2019 is going to be worse than 2018. But for the children of God, who know God, it's going to be exciting. Because warriors excel during war. Not peacetime. Yesterday, stock exchange has crashed the worst since 2008 in U.S., Today is closed in India. Tomorrow you will see a bloodbath on the markets. In 2018, in one month alone, Facebook's owner himself has lost around 18 billion dollars. One person alone. It's going to be a bloodbath next year. Why? Because the end is coming. And when all these things happen, we don't panic. Because we know in whom we have believed. We know in whose hands my future is. We are not panicking. We don't panic. Next year is going to be elections in India. It's going to be an absolutely messy year because you know elections in India when the results are going to be tight is going to be absolutely messy. Maybe a coalition government means more khichdi and more chaos. We <laughs> are not worried. All we ask is, Lord, help me to bring another one into thy kingdom. Another one. This gospel, this news cannot be closed. All these calamities, natural, man-made, doesn't bother us. Because in Christ, death itself has been overcome. Because on Christmas, not this Christmas, the actual Christmas, Christ came and he conquered sin and death. One day, a new day will dawn. That's the. Day he's talking about. Yeah. Go with the previous one. One day. No, the previous one. That day. Until which day? That day. There is a day without end. Because when that day begins, you're not in this body. There is no sun, there is no moon. There is no time, though no, no 24 hours. There are no seasons, nothing. That is a day without end. All those people who are distressed and discontent and miserable, life looks like a night without end. But on that day will begin a day without end. And the Bible at the last chapter, beautiful, last but one chapter, beautifully describes that day without end. This is how it says, I saw a new heaven, a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea, no more judgment. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, a dawn for a husband and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying behold the tabernacle or dwelling place of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people God himself will be with them and be their God now Emmanuel God with us inside then God with us outside and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes there shall be no more death no sorrow no crying, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. So, it's, it's the beginning of that awesome, awesome, awesome day. And that's the day we are looking forward to. And when we see that day, and we know it is real, these things mean nothing. It's just momentary in terms of eternity. This is the gospel. So this morning, shall we stand up? this morning every man has two choices either to put trust in his work put your trust in the work which god has done for us that's the only two choices two choices either trust god what he did through christ on the cross or trust in your works and if you trust in your works you will always realize your works are never enough never enough Never enough. You think about when we were religious. Why do people go on pilgrimages over and over and over and over again? Why? If it, if it was dealt with the first time, why do you have to go a second time? A third time? A fourth time? Still there is no assurance. But when you come to Jesus, it's one time. That's what Jesus told Peter. Baptism is once. After that, just keep washing your feet. That's all. You are secure. You are a son. Son, when he goes wrong, come to your father. Receive mercy. Receive strength. Keep on walking. You don't have to fear. Fear is taken care of. So this Christmas morning, this is an invitation to ask Jesus to come into our lives. If you do not know him, it's very simple. As Peter told 2,000 years ago to that crowd, Jewish crowd, repent, Repent from everything. Turn your heart, your mind from good and bad. Don't just repent from bad things you did. Good things also. Because you are trusting that good things to take you to heaven. And scripture says, repent. It says from both. Lord, I will never trust in myself again for salvation. I repent. And I believe in you, Lord. I believe. Forgive me, Father. It's a very simple prayer from your heart. I believe Lord. But Jesus said if you believe in your heart. And confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. You are saved. Lord I repent from my bad works. And my good works. From today till the end of my life. I will never put any trust in any work I do. To give me salvation. I will only trust. In the work you have done for me. On the cross. I believe in Yeshua. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he paid the price for me. I believe because he paid price. I have remission for my sins. And I pray Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Just don't be Yeshua alone for me. Be Emmanuel. Come Lord Jesus. Come into my life. Spirit of God. Everyone who cries out in their heart, I pray you would touch them this morning. And all those who are struggling, give them that assurance, Lord. They're struggling with their works. But your word says, if you loved us when we were sinners, and died for us when we were your enemies, today, Lord, let it be the day of deliverance for many. Let them know they are a son, a daughter of the living God. Set free to serve you and you alone. Not to serve this world, though they may go out into the world and work in the world. Not to serve the self, but to serve you. Let there be a surrender today in thy house, in the lives of your people. Thank you, Father. I commit the church, every brother, sister, child in this room, into thy hands. From the tiniest one, including the new baby who came today, to the babies in the womb, the ones who have gone away, home, everyone, I commit into thy hands. Let the Spirit of Christ give them that boldness and that confidence to walk that walk, to walk with you. Because you are Jesus. You are Emmanuel. We will never be alone again. For you will be with us. Now and forevermore. Prepare us for that place you are preparing for us. Not for this world, but for the world to come. And help us to pass this news to everyone. Let no one hide this good news. This awesome news. story of redemption. God's own love story. Thank you, Father. I bless your people in your name. In the hand of the living God, rest upon each soul and guide them every day of their life. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen.